morning. Today's reading is from 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 12. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, in complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others for you know the grace of our lord jesus christ that though he was rich yet for his, for your sakes he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich and here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter last year you were the first not only to give but also to have the desire to do so now finish the work so that you that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable, is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he, ha he does not have. Amen. We've been in a series called Won't You Be My Neighbor? It's based upon Jesus' greatest commandments to love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So far, we've looked at love, and we've discovered what love looks like between us and God and what it looks like between us and our neighbors. We've looked at our judgments of others and learned to look at ourselves with sober judgment so that we can remove the plank in our own eye before we address the speck in our neighbor's eye. Last week, Pastor Debbie talked to us about addressing loneliness in our neighbors. In a world of networking and 24-7 connection, we're really at our loneliest ever. Today, we're going to see that a generous spirit is a necessary element to loving our neighbors as ourselves. But before we dig deeper into our text this morning, I just want to point out that not once in our text that was just read a few minutes ago does Paul mention money. He talks about generosity in his letter. And he talks about sharing in the services of Lord's people. And he talks about ministry. But there is no mention of money. So... It's my prayer this morning that we go through this text and we don't just think about money as we go through giving, 
but that each one of us individually addresses where are we holding back? Where am I holding back? As a church, where are we holding back? What are we holding back from God? It's not about money all the time. It's about our gifts that God gives us. It's about our talents. It could be about our time. You see, Paul's writing to the Corinthians, and he's reminding them of God's grace by using the Macedonian church as an example. He starts out, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. This first sentence, it makes us think that grace is bestowed upon them. It's a result of their generosity. But it's actually the reverse. What Paul's really saying is, this is what God's grace looks like when it's lived out. Let me show you this Macedonian church who lives out God's grace and generosity to others. You see, they didn't receive grace because of what they were giving. They received God's grace and then they gave. It's a big difference. Verse 2 says, In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Very severe trial. They were being persecuted for their faith, and yet they had overflowing joy. They were in extreme poverty. Today we would say they were dirt poor, and yet they were rich in generosity. The Macedonians had overflowing joy, and they had a willingness to sacrifice for others, even in their suffering. It's not humanly possible. Humans don't naturally want to do this. We're self-centered. We're self-serving most of the time. And Paul says that kind of joy, that kind of generosity that we see displayed in these Macedonians can only come from the grace of God that's living in them. The grace of God that's been poured out into Christians, that's to be poured back out onto others. Despite our difficulties, despite whether we think we have enough or not. Sometimes despite whether we believe they deserve it or not. That's one of our biggest roadblocks to generosity. Excuses. We don't think we have enough to give. So we hold on tight. I'll help when I have more time. I'll give when I have more money. I'll serve when I get better at doing that task. Yet Paul tells us something important in the next chapter. In chapter 9, he says, God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. See, today we make excuses for why we can't do something. The Macedonians, they were begging to help. Despite their hardship, despite their poverty, in fact, they're serving. They counted it as a privilege. Please let us give. It's a privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, they said. 
Paul's trying to teach the Corinthians that this concern for others, this outward focus on others, is proof of authentic godly love. And it's this authentic love that then releases God's divine power out into the world. They pick up on it. They see it. You see, the generosity of the Macedonians made the gospel real. It brought the gospel to life. Because they were demonstrating the power of God's grace. Well, how did they do it? Verse 5 tells us, they gave themselves first to the Lord. Paul lays out this idea that our generosity comes from our devotion to Jesus. The Macedonians saw generosity as a service to the Lord. They understood that it was the grace of God working in them. And so they were happy to sacrifice for others. It was a work of the Lord. It was first a sacrifice to Jesus. Because when we're devoted to Jesus... In our devotion, that's when we will abound in graciousness. That's when we abound in charity to others. Because all that we do is out of gratitude for what Jesus has already done. And then Paul continues pointing out to the Corinthians. He starts to pat them on the back a little bit and pointing out all the good things, the gifts that they had. He says in verse 7, But since you excel in everything... In faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you. Let you also excel in the grace of giving. Paul's telling them that their generosity gives their faith, gives their knowledge, gives their speech validity. It makes it true. Without the generosity, everything else it's just empty. It's reminiscent of Paul's words regarding loving others back in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love, I would be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge... And if I had such faith, I could move mountains, but I didn't love, I would be nothing. He's just restating it again in terms of generosity. Paul wants the Corinthians to excel in generosity because in its expression, it's godly love. And love is most important. And Paul knows that generosity comes from the Holy Spirit. And without the Holy Spirit involved, Giving can be done. But without the Holy Spirit involved in giving, we tend to develop an attitude of resentment or bitterness. But when the Holy Spirit comes in and we give from that, there's an overflowing joy. And so Paul says, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it to the earnestness of others. Generosity cannot be commanded. Then it's not really generosity. Generosity that's commanded becomes nullified. 
Have you ever had something wonderful done for you without ever asking? I remember when my kids were younger and how wonderful a surprise it was if they did the dishes without asking. Or they cleaned up or made their bed, folded laundry, any chore. If they did it without me asking, wow, there was an authenticity and a sincerity to their generosity and to their kindness. Except, of course, when those moments came up and they said, well, Dad told me to do it. There's a difference. There's a big difference. When someone does something out of generous spirit versus, oh, so-and-so told me to do this for you. There's a big difference. So Paul tells them that this is not a command. It's a test of their sincerity. And then he takes it a step further, and he says, look to the one who sets the standard for generosity, Jesus, the one who gave his life for all. In verse 9, he said, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Again, the term rich here is not about worldly material things. We will be rich in eternal heavenly things. Peace, joy, and hope. We get a glimpse of these when the Spirit lives and works in us. We get a glimpse of heaven. Because when we live in this world, we're going to have trials. We're going to have trouble. But because Jesus lives in us, We can still be rich in generosity. We can excel at giving because our joy in Christ is overflowing in such a way that we want to help others. We're called to be like Jesus. We're called to give up the things of this world. We're called to live by different values, to serve others by serving him, to love in action, not words. John reminded that in in 1 John chapter 3. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. And we will be confident when we stand before God. A life of faith is always going to bring tests of our faith. Because we can fake love. For a time, we can fake it. But sincere and genuine love always requires sacrifice, and it always requires perseverance. So Paul tells them in verse 10, finish what you started. Here is my judgment about what is best for you, he says. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable. It's all about the heart. If their love and commitment to God is real, then they should continue what they started. 
But if they don't, then what was that? Were you just pretending? How often do we start something because we're all excited until we hit a bump? And then we hit another bump and another bump. And then suddenly we decide, forget it. It's just too hard. I guess I just wasn't meant to do it. And Paul's telling the Corinthians, your faith and your love stand true and sincere when you fight through the bumps. When you continue through the test, when you continue through the sacrifice, that's what Jesus did for us. It's the least that we can do back for him. And it's his sacrifice. That should be the motivating factor for our generosity. He's our standard for a generous spirit. Because in him we see that true giving requires giving of ourselves. And with Jesus as our standard, we will recognize that we need to be generous all the time, in all circumstances, whether we are in need or whether we are in abundance. Because we always have something to give another. On one of our trips to Haiti, um, one of the things that Jay does while we're there is he operates on the Haitians that can't get medical care otherwise. And there is this one young man who had come in. He had a very large hernia. He couldn't, he could hardly walk. It was so bad. And so Jay had performed an operation on him. That day, he rode on a motorcycle to go home. Amazing. But the next day, he was so thankful and so grateful, but he, he didn't have much except a little moped that was even borrowed from his friend. And so he came back to say thank you in the only way that he knew how. And I have a short clip for you. I want you to watch this. This was his gratitude.
Never think you have nothing to give. That was the most beautiful gift that we could have ever received. We've been watching it, you know, as we, we couldn't find it for a couple of days as I was preparing for this morning. And every time we watch it, we are brought to tears because of the spirit of his generosity. He recognized the grace of God, and he couldn't wait to come back and share God's words with us in a song because that's what he had to offer. Because generosity is a matter of the heart. It's not a matter of our circumstances. If we're disinclined to be generous in our poverty poverty, and in our lacking, we're not suddenly going to become generous in our abundance. Because the depth of our generosity is connected to the grace of God that we experience in Jesus. How Christians use their resources, how we use our time, how we use our talents, our money, our attention. It's a reflection of what we believe about God. It's a reflection of how we see God's actions in the world. How we use what we have or don't have is a message out to the people out there. Paul tells the Corinthians that their actions should be a reflection of the gospel in which they believe. Generosity is the gospel in action. It's evidence of God's grace in us. It comes from a sacrificial heart for others because Jesus has sacrificed for us. The very definition of generosity is unselfish giving. It isn't generosity to give with the expectation that we're going to get something back. When we give out of true generosity, when we give out of God's work of grace in us, then Paul tells us, God will bless your efforts. And Paul really, really wants to get this message across to the Corinthians. And so he continues it from chapter 8 all the way into chapter 9. In verse 6, he says, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will reap generously. When we give willingly and generously, God will give to us. In all things, at all times. Having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. It's not talking about material things. This is talking about the greater things, eternal things, heavenly things. Because God wants us to have the greater things, the better things. He wants us to have life. He wants us to have righteousness, peace, hope, joy. To the people that are giving of their gifts for others, God will give more. Sometimes he gives in kind, money for money. But not always. Sometimes he blesses us with immeasurable joy in return for our sacrificial giving. I had an experience this week where I had gone to a restaurant. First, I want to share a quick thing. I've been battling with God over sharing this story because I wanted to be anonymous about it. 
I want to lay this out here, because I didn't want to put myself in this position of sharing this story. I wanted it. I wanted to stay always a friend of mine that did this, and God said, that's lying. You cannot do that. If you want to stand before your church and be authentic, you need to own it. So before I share the story. And so I had breakfast at this particular restaurant, and I was going to leave my tip, and God said, no, this is what I want you to leave. And he told me a very specific amount to leave. He said, I want you to leave her a $100 tip. Okay, I will do that. And I didn't want to leave it on the table, and so I walked up to her as I was leaving, and I put it in her hand. And I tried to duck out real fast, but she, she looked in her hand real fast. She saw what it was, and she held me. And she looked at me, and she had tears in her eyes. And she said, you have to know something. She said, yesterday at church, we did a special offering. She said, and I didn't have much. I have a lot of bills this week. But God told me to give $100. And she said, so I gave it, not knowing how I was going to pay my bills this week. And yet, I knew that God would provide for me somehow. And she looked at me with tears in her eyes, and she said, thank you for being God's hands for me. Wow. I got immeasurable joy in that moment. It was, it carried, it carried me a week. Honestly, I kept saying, Lord, thank you for letting me be a vessel that you're using to reach others. God always gives us his best. And it's always exactly what we need in the moment. No matter how much we give, no matter how generous we think we are, we will never match the generosity of our Father who provides everything that we need. You want more time? Use it to serve the Lord. He'll provide just what you need. I'm going to boast about my husband for just a minute. He works 60 hours a week. But he wants to serve the Lord. And somehow, he always has enough time to do both. We talk about it all the time. I don't know. I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it to the movie night Friday. I don't know. You may have to set up without me. My day is full. I don't know how I'm going to get there. And he was there. Somehow, God makes it happen. Somehow, God makes it work. We're not meant to understand it. We're meant to just keep giving it back to him. Paul told the Corinthians that they would have all that they needed. For what purpose? So they would abound in every good work. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. God gives us blessings. God gives us gifts to share them. Not to hoard them, not to keep them for ourselves, but to bless others. Maybe you've been through a trial recently. And you saw God at work in your trial. Now you have the opportunity to be generous with your time and your experience to encourage someone else. 
that's going through something similar. And our generosity produces thanks to God. For the believer, generosity is not just a humanitarian effort. It has eternal impact. A generous spirit in the life of a believer shows a genuine faith. Generosity in the life of a believer is worship. And it results in praise of God. Generosity in the life of a believer is a manifestation of God's grace. I want to leave you with a story. A rich man was observed by friends to repeatedly pick up any penny he found on the street. This behavior was quite intriguing to his friends for the condition of the penny wasn't an issue. It could be a shiny and new penny or a dull and dingy one. It never seemed to bother the rich man. He was too busy and distracted to find a penny, and it's doubtful a penny ever missed his gaze. He was always looking for the pennies. It was a high priority to his day. Furthermore, friends noticed that the rich man was joyful with each new penny he found. He seemed to cherish each penny as much as the millions he had in his bank account. Finally, curiosity ran its course, and a friend asked the rich man, you are rich beyond measure. Why do you stop whatever you are doing or wherever you are to pick up a penny? Why would a man with your wealth care so much about a single penny? The rich man replied, Each penny found reminds me of my true worth as a person. Many people during my life viewed me much like a penny. I was often discarded, passed by, left in the change tray or seen as having little value. Then one day, a rich man found me on the street feeling worthless. Unlike others, he viewed me differently. He saw me great worth. He saw in me great potential. He promised to give me all he had to make me rich. I truly sensed this man cared for me and was telling me the truth. He engraved on my heart what others like me believe today. They are the same words that you see engraved on this penny found in the street. In God we trust. This penny serves as a constant reminder during my day that my true worth is not in riches, but in the one who made me rich. You see, my value is not in my possession, but in the one who possesses me. When you came in this morning, you were given a penny. A simple reminder that there are many people outside these walls who feel discarded. And they feel left out. Let this penny, let every penny you ever see be a reminder that our worth and our value is not in what we have, but in the one who died for us, the one who lives in us, so that we can then in return remind others 
that they too have value and purpose beyond measure. If we're going to love in ways that matter, if we're going to love our neighbors as ourselves, we must first see ourselves in the light of God's grace and then let it fill us up so it can pour out on others. That's the evidence of the generous spirit. Church, God doesn't want your money. He doesn't need your money. What he wants is you. He wants your heart. He wants you to know that you're loved, accepted, forgiven. God wants you to know that mercy and grace are available to you. And when we come face to face with the grace of God, the generosity of our great King, we can't help but just let that joy overflow and spill out on everyone else. God's generous grace poured out at Calvary. As you come forward, as we close our service with communion, contemplate the grace that you've received. Ask God what you're holding on to. What are you holding back and giving back to God? Heavenly Father, I pray for each person here this morning and for those that couldn't be with us. As we close our service, Father, may we hold tight to the grace and the mercy that you've spilled out onto us in the life and death of Jesus Christ. Help us see what we need to see. Help us to shine your light when we leave this place. As we come forward this morning, Father, grab a hold of our hearts. Fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen.